Joyce Chopra broke the glass ceiling to direct films that became classics, including Joyce at 34 and Smooth Talk. Now she's written her memoir, Lady Director. I'm Tom Powers, and this is Pure Nonfiction. Joyce Chopra grew up in Coney Island in the 1950s. She loved movies, but she never heard of a woman becoming a director. After attending Brandeis, she and a friend opened Cafe 47 in Cambridge, known as the coffee house where Joan Baez was discovered. Joyce gave up that venture to pursue her main passion for cinema. The trouble was that men held all the positions of power. When she applied at a TV network, she was told the highest position she'd ever get would be a secretary. In her memoir, Lady Director, Joyce writes vividly about her perseverance. She got her start in documentary film, then moved into the more aggressive world of Hollywood, and eventually back to nonfiction. She broke ground with her 1972 personal documentary, Joyce at 34. She turns the camera on herself as she's becoming a mother and wondering what it means for her career. In this clip, Joyce relies on her mother to babysit the newborn Sarah, so Joyce can go to work. I know it must be insulting to my mother, but I can't believe she could take care of Sarah as well as I can. It was very important to me that I had this film job waiting for me. I even liked the idea that six weeks after Sarah was born that I'd be going down to New York to do a film about a school. But I doubt that I would have taken it if my mother hadn't been 20 minutes away and ready to take care of Sarah. Joyce confronts the gender imbalance between what's expected of her versus her husband, Tom Cole. He was a screenwriter and her frequent collaborator for 40 years until his death in 2009. Here is Tom in Joyce at 34, reflecting on the strains of domestic labor. After the first month, when uh, the excitement of having a new person in the house was uh, everything to us, very little else ma mattered. But then came the problem of going back to work. And we began going back to work. Uh, and I work as a writer, so I can make my own hours to some extent. It takes a lot of hours to write well. And uh, Joyce needs a lot of hours to work in film. And yet she kept on doing a lot of things in addition to that, I helped with the baby some, and she would always ask me to do it and thank me. And uh, we had a lot of jokes about when I did dishes, she would say, thank you for doing dishes. And when she did dishes, I would just sort of walk away. And so we worked through that. Then came a really bad scene, and uh, it was about shopping. Joyce said, she's a worker, and I'm a worker. And uh, what reason is it that she should give up an hour, especially with uh, all the new stresses of having a baby to take care of, in order to go get food. It doesn't make any sense. You know, I, I used to count the hours. I would start in the morning and I would say, God, if I go shopping now, I can't start writing until 10. I have a deadline and in two weeks, uh, Kirsch, my collaborator, is going to come. It's, uh, it's going to be terrible. And it's as if I had walls that she didn't have. Finally, I said, well, why? I'll, I'll just go. It's really easier for me to go shopping and spend an hour and a half in the morning than to spend all my life fighting her. Joyce at 34 was co-directed with Claudia Weil, and aired on public TV. 50 years later, the gender dynamics feel just as contemporary. Joyce never gave up on her dream to direct fiction films. She finally got her chance in her late 40s when she made Smooth Talk, based on a short story by Joyce Carol Oates. The film marks the debut of Laura Dern as a teenager who's being stalked by an older man 
played by Treat Williams. Smooth Talk premiered at the 1985 Toronto Film Festival and went on to win the Sundance Grand Jury Prize. That was a boom time for American independent films that uplifted many careers, mostly those of white men who were celebrated for their artistic stubbornness. Even when they failed, they often got second chances. It wasn't the same for Joyce. After the success of Smooth Talk, she continued to be undermined by male crews and unsupported when she stood her ground. In Lady Director, she recounts painful situations with producers who steamrolled over her, including Sidney Pollack and Harvey Weinstein. Today, you can watch many of Joyce's films on the Criterion channel. The platform has a collection of her work that includes Joyce at 34, Smooth Talk, and her return to documentary, Gramercy Stories, about a safe haven for queer and transgendered teens. I spoke to Joyce last December, a few weeks after Lady Director was published. We begin by discussing her first film job in 1960 at Drew Associates, the documentary company where she met D.A. Pennebaker and Richard Leacock. When I was hired there, I had no idea what they were doing. I had no idea that I'd walked into a kind of revolution. Uh, I was looking for a job in feature filmmaking. I'd hardly ever seen a documentary at that point. Where would I see it? This is 1960. Very rare to see a documentary, certainly not on television. There are only three networks, the major ones, ABC, CBS, NBC. So, yeah, uh, God, you know, I learned learned a lot about editing there. I mean, that, that's mostly what I got out of it, is that. And I found that I loved editing. And I, that's something I could say, I understood it. It didn't, I mean, I understood the concept that you're, you could change the scene, you could change reality by moving, just by cutting to a close-up of somebody's face who probably wasn't even in the scene. Her days at Drew Associates were cut short when the company lost its funding. Soon after that, Richard Leacock, known as Ricky, invited her on a film assignment to cover the birth of the Fisher Quintuplets in North Dakota. The film's funder was the Saturday Evening Post that expected an uplifting story. But Ricky and Joyce were more captivated by the quintuplets being turned into a tourist attraction. I don't know what was in, I should say, what was in Ricky's mind because he's the one who'd made other films and he was the boss. I I was there to co-make it with him. Um, And we just immediately started filming what interested us and just ignored the contract. It was amazingly stupid. The Saturday Evening Post recut the film into a more cheery version. The director's cut, called Happy Mother's Day, gave no help to advancing her career. After that debacle, Joyce got a tip about a Brooklyn band that was hyped to become the next Beatles. She borrowed camera equipment to film them at a nightclub owned by Richard Burton's ex-wife, Sybil Burton. But when Joyce started filming, she realized the band had no talent. Still intrigued, she captured the absurdity of the situation for a documentary called The Wild Ones, but it got blocked from distribution. What came out of Wild Ones, because it has a follow-up, and I have it in the book also, I was heartbroken. Again, it was stupid. It was the exact same thing. I send the finished film to Sybil Burton, 
who was in the film, and she says, if you ever show this film, I'll sue you. <sighs> I'm crushed, completely crushed, because it's a good film. Two in a row. And then I get a call from uh, uh, the secretary to a man named David Picker, who was head of United Artists at the time. This is 1965. And secretary says, David loves your film. Apparently, Sybil Burton had married one of the bandmates and he wanted to be an actor. And Sybil was trying to get him cast in an United Artists movie. So she sent her copy of the film to David Picker. And David wasn't interested in the young man. He wanted to meet me. And I met him. And he said, you should, you're wasting your time with documentaries. You know, you should be making features. And I said, yes, 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 that's what I want to do. Uh, and he said, go find a writer to collaborate with. And that's how I met my husband, through that. So if, I, so if I hadn't made Wild Ones, I never would have met Tom Cole. So you never know where things are going to go. And he, and he wrote Smooth Talk, the script to Smooth Talk. Sure. Anyway, and other things for me, with me, yeah. So even though that film didn't get distribution at the time, it, it uh, brought a lot into your life. Personally, yeah, and professionally, eventually, yeah. I want to ask about Joyce at 34. You're filming the birth of your daughter, Sarah, in 1971 and, uh, and the year that follows and the challenges for a mother to balance parenting and work. Um, but at that time... There were hardly any examples, maybe none that you knew of, of, of first-person filmmaking. Um, so can you describe what gave you the notion to, to make an autobiographical film? A friend of mine was, I guess, teaching sociology. And I was eight months pregnant and very worried about, oh, I'm never going to make films of it. I'm going to get swallowed up into parenting. It's the end of me. And I was very unhappy, to put it mildly. And she said, you are in a unique position to do a film about yourself and your mother and whether your relationship changes when you become a mother yourself. And I said, first, my first reaction was, who has ever heard of a film about what, what it, there's no such thing as a film about a private person. Um, and it's narcissistic and, oh God, no. And then of course, cooks in my brain, I say, hmm, that's not a bad idea, but I'm not interested in the film about my mother. I'm gonna do a film about the very problem I have, which is, can I be a parent and also a filmmaker? And that's how, I also have to say, it was the films that Drew Associates, the Leacock and Penny Baker and Alan Mazes were making about public people. They were about uh, political events, fighting events, sporting events. First job I had at Drew Associates was syncing up. They had done a film uh, on the pole about a race car driver, Eddie Sachs. And my job, I sat in a room with syncing up the sounds of zoom, zoom, zoom with cars. That, that was literally the first, and I felt so excited, I'm making a movie. Uh, so I made this film, and to this day, you're the one who knows more about documentaries than I do. I can't find any other film earlier than mine that was autobiographical. And certainly not in this country. I don't know about, anyway. So we filmed for over a year. I was waiting for my 
turned out to be a daughter to walk, but she didn't walk till she was 14 months. But she talked earlier than that. Um, anyway, that's how that came about. And it was also the first live birth on television. People asked me, how, how could you let people put a camera in your crotch? And I said, it wasn't me. It was the subject I was filming. I really separated out. In, in the film, you talk about the, the, the pleasure you have in collaborating uh, with your co-director on that project, uh, Claudia. Claudia Wheel. Um, uh, can you talk about what that meant to, you know, after, um, by that point, you'd, you know, been in the film business for a, a decade, uh, mainly with, uh, with men running the show. All men. Oh, men as partners, yeah. Men as cameramen, men as, yeah. And it's something... I remember having a conversation with another friend who was a completely different field. She was a, a literary person, a writer. She wrote reviews for the Village Voice, theater reviews, Ellie Fuchs. And we were walking along and, and having, and she brought up this subject that she felt like a fraud. And then we, I said, I do too. That was something I can't even remember feeling, but I, I remember that feeling at that time. It was my early 30s. And... We didn't feel legitimate. You know, we, we, it's a strange thing to say, but it's not just us. A lot of women at that time didn't feel legitimate. So going back to Claudia, I think I say something like for the first time, what did I say? Somebody's taking me, not questioning me, or taking me seriously, or something, something like that. And it was true. It was wonderful to work with another woman. Yeah, she did the camera work. Choice at 34 was broadcast on public television, but you recognize that there was another audience for it, people that you know wanted to see it on campuses and community groups. And, uh -huh. and around that time uh, was the start of New Day Films, a, a filmmaker's collective that, uh, that helped get the film out there and, and validated your... Uh, that was, without that, it couldn't have happened. These are, these are women, Julia Reicher just died. Uh, but it was a, four women, or three women and one guy, married to one of the women, who had the same problems. They couldn't find, no distributor believed there was an audience for films about women. And they said, the hell with that, we'll start our own company. And I, I, they had just started it, and I, I don't remember who introduced me, but we became members and distributed the film ourselves. So again, very exciting early days. We printed up our own advertisement brochures and I packed the films up in those uh, corrugated boxes that films went in. I was very excited to go to the post office to mail a copy to a library. I was in showbiz. <laughs> I was, I mean, it, it felt that way. The, the book, Lady Director, I understand uh, started prompted by your daughter Sarah encouraging you to to do something because you had just finished a film and and she she knew that you would need a project to uh, to to keep busy. Is that right? It's not just to keep busy. I would get always get very downhearted. Can't say depressed, but that's close to it. You know, my life is. I'm used to making things, and whenever I complete a film. 
Yes, I would lie around on the couch and do nothing. And she said, oh, it's going to happen again. Why don't you write a memoir? And it was a repeat of Joyce 34. I'm not a writer. Anyway, it's narcissism, which is absurd because many people write memoirs, but no, thank you. And then I literally threw out a line, just as a joke, which turned out to be the first. I kept it as the first line of the book. And but I never intended to write a book. I never intended. This was just Keep Joyce Busy Project. That's all it was. Lady director, Joyce describes how after more than two decades of making documentaries, she finally got the opportunity to direct her first fiction film, Smooth Talk, based on a script by her husband. It was frightening because I knew so little about making a feature film as much as I wanted to make one. I had never gone to a film school. I had never worked on another feature. And so I had to learn everything on the spot. So that was pretty scary. Uh, once I felt more comfortable with mostly what I had to learn. I mean, the finding locations, costume, that I, I didn't find that hard. I took to it. I loved doing, especially location scouting. But the biggest torment for me was where am I going to put the camera? Because in documentaries, once you pick a scene you're going to film, you follow the action. And you don't have multiple cameras and multiple takes. Well, if, if I was rich, I would have had multiple cameras, but I, I wasn't. But so here was, a, a, and I had been, I had gone out to Sundance. They have a June lab for first time directors. And I didn't, I'd hoped to learn something there, but I didn't, unfortunately. Uh, so all my learning was on the job, and I had this wonderful cameraman, Jim Lennon, who was a good teacher, and he basically helped me through it. So after some days, I, you know, it just clicked in my brain, and then I loved it. I find it's a very strange, when I have to imagine where I'm gonna place the camera, I can't do it with pencil and paper. I have to do it on my computer. And somehow sitting at my computer, it frees my brain up, I don't know why, to picture that whole thing. I've never asked other directors about it. And it just suddenly begins to flow. And I'm moving people around in my mind. Maybe looking at the computer screen, I don't know what it is anyway. It's, it's a wonderful experience. When it's going well, when it's not, it's awful. <laughs> The critical acclaim for Smooth Talk sent Joyce into the higher stratosphere of Hollywood. Her next project was based on another literary work adapted by her husband, Bright Lights, Big City, starring Michael J. Fox. In her memoir, Joyce details how she clashed with the film's producer, Sidney Pollack. After a few weeks of shooting, she was fired and had her reputation smeared in the press. On her next project, she had to battle Harvey Weinstein, I asked Joyce what it was like to revisit these painful memories. If I had tried to write this at the time, Bright Lights happened in the uh, early, late 80s. Yeah, that's a long time ago. That's almost 40 years ago. But at the time, I was so upset, beyond upset. I was, because I was outraged uh, and but also, I, I couldn't mention the name without trembling. I, it took me a couple of years literally to stop it. I couldn't talk about it. It was, it was that devastating. 
And then on top of that, to have another experience with Harvey, I, I stopped making films for you. I didn't want to ever, ever go back to doing films. And it's only because a friend of ours who produces television movies, Robert Greenwald, tempted me uh, with a film for television with Helen Hunt. And it was also, I think it was the first film ripped from the headlines for one of these movies of the week. But no, I was done with filmmaking. I really, I was, I was pierced to the heart, as they say, yeah. And so, okay, so when writing it, I didn't have that reaction. I was able to write about it as neutrally as possible, but I didn't get worked up again. <laughs> it was too long ago, and I'd done enough of it so that I could write about it. And so much of it is not in there. I mean, it's just not worth it. Uh, but I have never dealt with such aggression. You know, it was br brutal aggression. I, I, Tom and I, my husband, who wrote the screenplay, we just weren't used to it. I mean, documentary world, so far as I've ever experienced, is a fairly decent world. You know, and maybe because there's not enough money involved. You know, that the budgets are at the most, what, $100,000 that I have. I mean, I haven't done, I know there are many more that now made that are cost a great deal more, but the average film, people scrape together the money and borrow the equipment. No, in features, you're dealing with millions and millions of dollars and it lets loose terrible, terrible things. One thing that was striking me in the book is um, as you go through a lot of terrible experiences uh, that you know, feel like they're very gendered experiences where you're, uh, you know, often a, a, a lone woman on a crew uh, or one of few women on a crew and you have um, men pushing back on you who, um, who don't seem to give you the same respect that they might give a, uh, a male director. Uh -huh. um, it made me wonder, you know, um, how much you had a network of other women directors, the few women directors that were out there in the 1970s and 80s. And, um, and if, you, if you have that kind of network to commiserate or strategize. No, I didn't. I think possibly because I, I was living the worst time, actually. I mean, yes, it was very dramatic working and being fired by Sidney Pollack or bruising with Harvey. But after those experiences, when I thought I wouldn't work, I didn't want to work again. And my friend Robert Greenwald was producing this film for CBS. I spent 10 years, I would say all through the 90s, I was living in LA doing a lot of television movies. But I, I didn't get pushed around like that, although I was that rare person, a woman director, who was good for films about women. Uh, and that all stopped abruptly in 2000 uh, when uh, reality TV took over and they stopped making those Wednesday and Sunday night movies. And my agent was the agent for a lot of people who worked for Dick Wolf's companies. So I got hired to do an episode of uh, Special Victims Unit. 
and they were in their fourth season and it, I don't know how many episodes they do a season, but a lot. And I was only the third woman they had ever hired. And that producer couldn't stand that I was forced on him. And he was awful. He, he was like Sydney. He stood over my shoulder. He made me so nervous. Um, and what's wonderful now, that's, I don't know what year that was, 2002, something like that. And now I've read that in the last, just in the last few years, the statistic is now 40% of women are directing episodic television. And that's only in the last two or three years. It stayed very low and then it crept up just a little bit. And then there was this explosion. It's great. Not the same with features, but it'll, it'll get there. At some point after a long career directing fiction films, directing uh, fiction television, you did go back and, uh, and, and make another documentary. And I wonder what that was like, uh, you know, moving from big productions with big crews to, to doing something on a smaller scale. A friend of mine who was a retired architect told me at a dinner one night that she's very bored and would I like to do a film with her? And I, and I put her off, I said, yeah, sure, find me a project. But I thought at that point, going back to doing documentaries is gonna be a step down. And it was, I'm not proud of feeling that, but that's what I was feeling at the time. And literally the next morning, she knocks on my door. I was living in the country in Connecticut. She says, I have a project. And she told me about this uh, home run for uh, teenage boys who were, had been in uh, foster care and who were basically runaways. And they were finally being taken in at a place in New York in, a, on, in the Gramercy Park area. And would I want to go and visit? And I said, no, that's, I, don't, I don't think I'd feel comfortable in that environment, you know, with a bunch of teenage kids. She said, well, come and visit at least. You know, the, friend, the director's a friend. And um, so I finally went with her. And I was so drawn into this. And I forgot all my hesitations. And I started making documentaries again. And have enjoyed it immensely. So I apologize to the world of documentary for thinking it was a step back, which wasn't at all. It's a privilege. And I've since then done about four others. Uh, I've been very lucky. I uh, was introduced to a woman named Holly Carter. I don't know if you've ever met Holly, but she runs a group called, a nonprofit called By Kids, with money originally from the Ford Foundation. And the idea was, it doesn't sound original, but it turns out to be, to, to rope in people like me who will basically work for nothing, experience documentary and mentor young kids and teach them how to use the camera and shape a story. Uh, and what made it different is she was looking for stories that she called globally relevant, relevant. and indeed they were. But they had stories. So the first film I did was in India uh, at a school for tribal girls, the first in their family to be educated. Uh, and it, it was shown all over India. And then I went on to uh, Nicaragua and did a film about climate change because uh, the coffee crops in uh, Central America are being devastated by a fungus and because it's not cold enough now. 
in the winters. And so I went there and filmed a young girl and her family, and I've done another one, and I'm gonna be doing another one. And I'm very blessed to be able to do, they all are on PBS. Uh, and many schools, they're, they're distributed at, you know, all over the place. And again, I'm so lucky. I've had a lot of bad luck and I've had a lot of wonderful luck. It's like falling into Drew Associates. That was just pure chance. The work that you've been doing lately with By Kids, it's putting, uh, telling stories through the eyes of, uh, of young people. Um, you're you're doing this at an age when many people that many people call their retirement years. Um, yeah. Uh, uh, but uh, clearly, you have a very strong drive to uh, to to keep yourself telling stories. Yeah. I don't know why. I'm I'm my health is good. Okay, and. I've actually gotten stronger. After I saw the RGB, the movie about Ruth Bader Ginsburg, did you see that? Yes, the RPG, yeah. Okay, and do you remember her doing push-ups and that she has a personal uh, she trainer? She does planks. Planks, okay, planks, which I can now do. And literally that night, I came home and Googled trainers near me. And from that day on, I've been part of a small gym and I, I'm in a semi-private group. I go twice a week and also on my own. And boy, can I do planks. <laughs> and, but it's made me stronger. I have no, and I advise anybody who's listening, it's, as, it's never too late. I wanna thank Joyce Chopra for speaking with me. Her new memoir is Lady Director. You can watch a collection of her films on the Criterion channel. That includes Happy Mother's Day, Joyce at 34, Smooth Talk, and Gramercy Stories. See our show notes for links. Check out our Instagram page, where we have filmmakers taking over the feed throughout February. Coming up are takeovers from several festivals, including Doc Point Helsinki, Berlin Ali, Big Sky in Montana, and Fespaco in Burkina Faso. Follow our Instagram at Pure Nonfiction. Thanks to our team, series producer Hannah Nordenswan and web designer Cross Strategy. Our theme music is composed by Andre Williams, and our executive producer is Rafaela Nehausen. I'm Tom Powers. You can read our show notes and sign up for our newsletter at Pure Nonfiction. Dot net. <laughs>